next on Abounding Grace. You can't fight a spiritual battle with human weapons. In order to go to battle, you have to have the right equipment, the best equipment. And our problem is, is that we often get entangled in the flesh and in fleshly conflicts. The real battle is the realm of the spirit. That's where victory is won. Victories aren't won in the human realm. And we'll begin to cast insults back and forth. We'll get in the flesh, and it's in that place that we're defeated. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace, the radio outreach of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 exposes the spiritual war that we find ourselves in as believers, along with the weapons we're given to win. We'll learn that one of the best ways to fight is on our knees in prayer. It's an important and relevant section of Scripture, so let's get right to it. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. In 1 Corinthians, we learn there were divisions in the church so quickly, there were factions, there was rampant immorality and unspiritual leadership. The church wasn't using, they weren't using the spiritual gifts unto Jesus, but rather they were interested in drawing attention to themselves in the body of uh, fellowship and the gathering together. They weren't respecting the Lord's Supper or what we would call today communion. Uh, they would combine it in the, in the church in the first century. They would combine communion with what would, we, they would call an agape feast or a love feast. where they, We refer to those as potlucks today. or Some people don't like to say luck, so they call it pot blessing. Whatever. You bring your food and you share your food. And in the sharing of food, you then would end it with a time of communion, memorializing the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They also had wrong beliefs. By the time you get to 1 Corinthians 15, they had wrong beliefs about the resurrection and what happened after death and being reunited with loved ones, and Paul corrected that. Lots of stuff was happening in this new young church. Now, in response to a report that Paul had received, he takes his quill in hand and he writes to them 1 Corinthians. And he does it very carefully, but very sternly, dealing with the issues at hand, taking a strong stand for righteousness spiritually and in love. Now, since Paul's first letter, and this is all by way of review because we've stretched out our verse-by-verse study in 2 Corinthians for many, many, many months now, and we're reviewing as we start a new section, as I'll show you in just a second, of 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 10 here. Since Paul's first letter, the church had been influenced by false teachers, And by this influence, they literally turned people against Paul. They claimed that he was a proud man and indecisive, unimpressive in appearance and dishonest, even unqualified as an apostle. And Paul sent his protege, one of his, one of, he was a mentor, one of the ones he, one of the men he was mentoring, Titus, and that name would be familiar to you because there's a letter written to Titus later on in the New Testament because Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete under Paul's discipleship, he sends Titus at this time to Corinth to handle the difficulties. And Titus comes back with an encouraging report. Things have improved. Things have gotten better. Yet, 
there's still some resistance. And that's where this letter of 2 Corinthians comes into play. It's a letter from the heart. You'll recall that we, we learned in the very beginning of our study in 2 Corinthians that this letter gives, if, if you, when you, when I would ask the question as a pastor, I'd say, hey, what are the pastoral epistles? Those of you that are Bible students right away would say, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. You know why you would know that? Because at times when we studied them over and over, we called them the pastoral epistles. Why? Because Timothy and Titus were pastors, and their mentor, they're the one that God used to disciple them, was writing a letter to his pastors. So we learn of those as pastoral epistles. If anyone ever asks you, and what are the pastoral epistles, not only would I want you to give them those three answers, but I would want you to add 2 Corinthians. Not because Paul's writing to a pastor, but rather because we see Paul as a pastor. If you really want to know the heart of a pastor... If you want to really know what the direction where our heart is pastored should go, 2 Corinthians is that book. Because we have the anatomy of the man who loves a congregation so strongly through the good and the bad, able to speak the truth, work with them. Even in 1 Corinthians, he had to give a strong word of rebuke. You'll recall that young man was caught up in sexual immorality. And the leadership said, ah, no problem, no problem. But Paul said, big problem. You need to repent. And he, instead of repenting, And when there was a lack of repentance, then that young man was, the Bible says, delivered over to Satan. We would call that today church discipline. He needed to be removed from the fellowship of the congregation in order to get his life right. And he did. Because of that decision, there was true repentance. And we saw that back in 2 Corinthians earlier, uh, where we saw in, you know, just back in chapter 7, it says in verse 9 that your sorrow led to repentance. And then it gives a great picture of what repentance looks like and what the end result of it is. And we studied that in previous studies. 2 Corinthians, this pastoral letter, not because it's written to a pastor, because it's written from a pastor to his church, to a congregation that he was used to develop. Now, in the very beginning of our study in 2 Corinthians, I divided the book up for you into three sections. So if you're taking notes, I'll remind you, some of you already have this in your notes, but there are three sections. The first one is chapters 1 through 7, and this is where Paul explains his ministry. Then we just finished chapters 8 and 9, and it was a mini-series on giving. We're going to get those studies together with other studies that we've done on giving, and we're going to put them together in a package because that is by far one of the top five questions that people ask about the Bible. And when you listen to the, to the radio show Calvary Live, uh, no doubt that question will be asked at least once a week, perhaps twice or three times a week, because everybody wants to know what's, my, what's God's desire for giving and does tithing apply? And we've studied those things. We're going to put those together in a little MP3 thing and CDs and make sure that those are available to you so you can have your questions answered. We just finished the second section, chapters 8 and 9, and this is where there's an expectation to give. And Paul places that expectation on the Corinthians but really on all of us as followers of Jesus. Now we start with chapter 10, the last section, chapter 10 through chapter 13, and now Paul is going to express yet another defense to his apostleship, another defense to his pastorship and his authority that God has given to him so that he might lead the congregation in the things of the Lord. Now, with all that in mind, chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold toward you, but I beg you. You see those two words, pleading and begging. That's how desperate the situation is. 
He says, I'm, I'm pleading with you. And he repeats it again with a different word. I'm begging you that when I'm present, I may not be bold, that with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against, against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. With the needs of the church in Jerusalem addressed, that was their previous commitment to give, Paul again, uh, now turns his attention back to pleading with the church to believe the truth. Now, you know it's a desperate situation, and I believe indeed in our days uh, as a country, as, as a world, you know, we can focus on our country because where we live, but the world at large, there is a sense where pastors are at a place where we have to beg you to believe the truth. The truth of God's word, the simplicity of the gospel. This isn't just a begging of like, you know, this isn't the type of begging and pleading that we might have with an unbeliever to believe the gospel message and get saved. That's different. This is a pleading and a begging among people that should know what the word of God already says, where at once they've been convinced Somewhere along the way, they're no longer convinced, and pastors will say, come on, guys, you've got to believe in this is the truth. Not only do we believe, do we need to believe in it, but we need to behave in such that way. And these lies that had spread about Paul were not true. We know that because lies are not truth. (laughs) They weren't true. Now, here's something that's important for us to grasp. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 18, a very important principle for us. Because lies are common. They're all around us. They're in the newspaper, the news. Unfortunately, they sometimes can float through the church because Paul would tell the church in Ephesus to to stop speaking lies. He's telling believers, you got to stop lying. And some people that came out of the world, um, they had a problem with lying. And it's one of the issues they're working on right now. And one of the mistakes that you and I can make is that when we choose to believe lies about people, And I would go so far to say that the Bible says when you and I choose to believe lies about people, it's sin. It's not the proper response. How does that happen? Well, it happens very simply. It starts with listening to negative talk about someone. Listening to negative talk, we might refer to that as slander or gossip or lies. And we believe the negative talk about someone coming to a negative conclusion before speaking to the other person. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. I like how the New Living Translation, I think I even wrote it down uh, in the front of my Bible. The New Living Translation translated this way. Any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. I love that. How careful we need to be to guard our ears and our hearts. And instead, if any negative talk comes our way, we go and pray. We pray and go to the person to get their side. Paul's not coming heavy-handed with this message. That's not what he says. He says, I'm pleading with you guys with meekness and gentleness. He says, he kind of goes back. There there is some historical narrative that describes Paul as someone not very impressive. Like you would look at him and go, you're an apostle? That's not what I thought apostles looked like. This happens all the time with me because of the Bible studies that we have on the radio. And some of you are guilty of it, I'm sure. Because you're listening to the radio and somehow in your head, you've got some kind of picture of what I look like. Like listening right now, people are going, yeah, he's seven feet tall and he's buff. And, uh, <laughs> and you come in and there's this scrawny guy behind the pole. You're like, who is that? I know. In presence, not very impressive. You know, you, you know Ed, you're, you've got a face for radio. I know. I understand. <laughs> I'm not offended by that. I know more than you do. 
But you have in your mind, I, I know when someone will come and share that with me, they'll get enough courage, and you don't need courage to share it with me because I'm not offended by it at all. I remember in the early days as a new believer listening to K-Wave, which is a radio station very similar to Grace FM in Southern Cal. And one of the pastors that just really, really, really um, impacted my life because of his testimony and his teaching was Pastor Raul Reese. He's on here as well. And I would listen to him, listen to him. And, and I happened to live around the, uh, I say around the block, but it was really around the hill uh, from where West Covina was. I lived in Whittier. West Covina is over the hill. And we could take the back way and drop right into the area there and drive to West Covina. So one night, on a Sunday night, uh, I decided to go visit. And I remember it, the, the place was packed. We had to sit, you know, arm to arm like this. There were so many people there on a Sunday night. It was just, I had never seen anything like it other than the church that I came from. And I remember Pastor Raw coming out on the stage and just thinking, you know what? He looks nothing like I thought he was looking. And I didn't go up and tell him because he knows like Kung Fu and stuff. So I wasn't going to tell him. But I understand. Paul says, look, you guys remember when I was there, I didn't seem very impressive to you. I, there wasn't anything to say, oh, that guy. But when I come, he says, notice, being absent, I'm bold. There's a bold word. I, I'm more bolder than I look in your presence. But I beg you that when I do come again, that I don't have to be bold in your presence. You guys, you need to get this, he says. I want when I come to enjoy the fellowship is another way of saying that. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies because strong, bold words tend to be missed by those who need to hear them. They get dismissed, people become defensive, and the flesh easily rises up. And when that happens, we miss the point. And when we miss the point, it's very easy to miss the word of the Lord. And that's where Paul is in these first two verses. Verse 3. Now he's saying, look, for we, even though we walk in the flesh... Or even though we're human, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. These are such powerful truths. I want you to compare this section over with Ephesians. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me? Ephesians chapter 6. Many people would look at these two passages, Ephesians 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and they would put it under the banner of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, for good reason, because the word spiritual and war is used. Spiritual warfare. And before we get to any expositing on 2 Corinthians 10, we need to look at Ephesians 6. So get there with me. Pick up in verse 10 when you do get there. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So verse 10, chapter 6, Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying, verse 18, always, with all prayer and supplication, in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We aren't going to get into Ephesians 6. I would encourage you to go online, calvaryaurora.org. Our studies in Ephesians are up there. You can download them. Uh, you can listen to them. I don't, think we were, I don't think we were here when those studies were given. I think they were in the school, so you can't watch them. But you can listen to them uh, and learn what all these different pieces of the spiritual armor, how they, what they are and how to use them as a believer. But sufficient for us tonight in chapter 10 is the truth that we don't battle in this flesh or in humanity. We don't war that way. The real battles that we have are spiritual battles. Yes, the flesh is involved. And now this flesh is referring to your humanity, but you know that that word also is used in the New Testament to refer to your old sinful habits. So it's easy not only to battle in the flesh, but then to get a rise of of the flesh which is bad both ways. And if you have never experienced that, come to me after service. I want to do a documentary on your life where there has been a mistake that you've made that you've tried to battle in the flesh, in the human realm, only to find that you and I will fail every single time. Why? Because you can't fight a spiritual battle with human weapons. In order to go to battle, you have to have the right equipment, the best equipment, And our problem is is that we often get entangled in the flesh and in fleshly conflicts. The real battle is the realm of the spirit. That's where victory is won. Victories aren't won in the human realm. And we'll begin to cast insults back and forth. We'll get in the flesh, and it's in that place that we're defeated. Satan has an advantage over us when we war against him in the flesh. He has a significant advantage when we war in the flesh. But if we confine the war and the battle in the spiritual realm to the power of the spirit that dwells in us, then we have a definite advantage over the devil, a significant advantage. We walk in victory when we walk in the spirit. And Satan will always try. And here's the problem. And this is something you need to get into your thinking. We often will get in, caught up into the fleshly realm because we are dealing with every, other human beings. It doesn't always present itself spiritually. It almost always presents itself personally, humanly. You think of the arguments, and you think of the difficulties, and you think of somebody cutting you off. I mean, something so simple as somebody cutting you off on the freeway, that's a spiritual battle that you can fight in the spirit. You're just like, it's no big deal. You can have my lane. I give it to you. Instead of, well, I don't quite know what you do when that happens, but you do getting all upset because somebody took your lane and made you 30 seconds later. Now, certainly there are more difficult situations where the flesh rises up with people. Personal things, family things, friendship things. And the Bible says that it's important that we wage war in the spirit. The devil is wise and the devil is subtle. He's wise and he knows that if he can get us in the flesh, he has us. But if you and I are wise... Though we walk in the flesh, we'll realize that the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, are not carnal. They're not in the flesh. They're not human. But they're in the realm of the spirit. If you and I are able to keep it in the realm of the spirit, then we have more than a decided advantage. We have victory. 
for the realm of the spirit, Christ has defeated the forces of darkness. Did you know that? It's a defeat. The devil is defeated. Let me just show you. Turn over again close to Hebrew, or Ephesians and go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. The, the defeat and the victory has already been taken place. It's already done. And when we fight in the realm of the spirit, victory is there. Notice Colossians chapter 2 with me. Verse 11. It says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of the flesh, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Triumph is another word for victory. And there is a victory over the spiritual realm in Christ Jesus. Through the cross... Jesus has made an open display of his victory. So that in spiritual warfare, we enter in as victors. Though we walk in the flesh, Paul says, we don't war according to the flesh. So our weapons, verse 4, they're mighty in God. We're not weak and helpless in this battle. We're not weak and helpless when the... Even as you're trying to wrap your mind around, wait a minute, Ed, it's really some people and this situation and, and spiritual and these weapons. How do I put a belt of truth on and how do I put a helmet of salvation on? And, and I believe today I'm going to help you take a step in the realm of spiritual warfare that's very, very simple. You don't need to worry about wrapping your mind about the complexities and the depth of spiritual warfare, although I want you to study it on your own after you're done. It'd be a great investment of your time. These weapons, the things that were mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, the strongest, most important weapon is the weapon of prayer. That keeps us in the spiritual realm, prayer. Not only is it the most effective, but I believe it's also the most underused. Because in prayer, we don't see immediate results, and we're conditioned to see immediate results. That's how we've been raised in the world system that we're in. We have been raised in such a way where we are conditioned to both demand, both want, and even demand immediate results. That's why Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why in the world would you lose heart during prayer if the answer didn't come according to your request right away? And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, you pray so much the same thing that you even, you become tired of hearing your own prayers. You'll even start perhaps even playing mind games where... I don't even want to hear it anymore. It's not going to happen. It just doesn't seem like God hears. Like the psalmist writes in chapter 13 of the psalm, in psalm number 13, he's crying out. He's just like, you know, how long is it going to be, Lord? When are you going to, when are you going to hear me? Why are you going to let your enemy, my enemies, triumph over me? Prayer is so powerful, and one mistake in the battle is when we choose to take things into our own hands and our own methodologies. It is a mistake. When we attempt to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, in the strength of our weakness of our flesh, we always fail. So rather than trying to go to war in the flesh, we're much better off relying on the strength of God, going to Him in prayer. 
You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our new website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Third Option by Miles McPherson. In it, Pastor Miles speaks out about the racial divisions in today's world and encourages us to see people as God sees them. It contains awesome practical takeaways and exercises to help you understand the points of views of others. I think you'll also be inspired and encouraged to make positive changes in our country, starting with yourself. Again, ask for a copy of The Third Option when you call today at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever, as you can now do so through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 2 Corinthians. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 